is lit tonight. <laughs> they sure are. Let me tell you. Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group. To prepare for our Big Book Study, let's get focused by having a three-minute moment of silent meditation, followed by the fog light prayer. Good evening, everyone. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Chris. And I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Rob. Thank you all so much for joining us tonight. We're going to get started with the meditation in just a minute. Please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise or will distract others for the duration of the meeting. And also the coffee area, it's going to be closed for the duration of the meeting. So as to minimize distractions, but if you want a cup of coffee, go ahead and grab one and I'm getting some, yeah, go right ahead. It's also some refreshing H2O. Also, please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. For the meditation, some suggestions are focus on your breath and your posture. Breathe in God. Breathe out self. Take this time to get reconnected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you focus on the study. Enjoy your time with the monks. All right. Thank you. 
Please join me in the fog light prayer. If you don't know it, repeat after me. God, God, let, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. All right. Let's have our secretary's report with Mr. Ronald. Give it up. Hi, my name is Ronnie, and I'm your alcoholic secretary. In keeping <laughs> hey, with the seventh hey, tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. And if you do not have actual cash, it's cool we use, you know, different forms of electronic transferring um, that you can get with us afterwards, and we'll tell you all about it. Um, and I've asked my friend Sam to come up and read the recovered statement. Yay! Yeah. Thanks, Ronnie. Oh, hey, I'm Sam, and I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Sam. Hey, Sam. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured? That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. All right. And so we read that notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. 1940-style big book sponsorship from the forward to the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses. And among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the uh, sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. We also have CDs, mugs, large print big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale. We meet every Monday promptly at 7.15, and we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the Road to Recovery Tune, and we will see you next week. From the forward to the first edition of Alcoholics Anonymous, we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book and of this group. 
From there is a solution also from the big book. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. This is an open meeting, and as such, all who have an interest in alcoholism and our program of recovery are welcome. Because this is an open meeting, you need not identify yourself nor your reason for being here if you do not wish to do so. Your anonymity will be protected. We ask that you protect ours. On the topic of anonymity, this meeting, as you all know, is on the World Wide Web. So if you don't want your voice on the Internet, just pass that microphone or disguise it and make a silly voice. Can we have a show of hands of people joining us for the very first time here? All right, Juan, welcome. And a show of hands for recovered alcoholics in the room. All right, if your hand's not up, grab one of these people who have their hands up and ask them how they did that, their thing. While this is an open meeting, membership in this group is limited to those who wish to recover from alcoholism and have a desire to stop drinking for good and all. Each member of Alcoholics Anonymous is a potential sponsor of a new member and should clearly recognize the obligations and duties of such a responsibility. Does anybody need one of these large books? We have a few loners. A few escaped, got in, in the door. No, no, no. All right. We're good. Good job, greeting committee. And before we begin our study of the big book, last week we reviewed Tradition 4. Yeah, Quattro. And we got Tanisha coming on up for the next one. It's on page 177 in the skinny one, 562 of the Fatty Patty. Tanisha. Hey, I say it like that because sometimes I forget. (laughs) Um, So let's turn to our traditions. Um, I'm in the fatty, so I'm on page 562. Tradition five. Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. In five, in the long-term version, which is the same, each Alcoholics Anonymous group ought to be a spiritual entity having but one primary purpose, that of carrying its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. And with that said, um, with my experience to this, I'm glad that we stick to this um, primary purpose, which is to carry the message of AA, because first comes our sobriety, um, sharing our sufferings and recovery um, from alcoholism is what binds me here. Um, First, I learned to stay sober, um, but it wasn't very easy. But I knew that once when I knew how to stay sober, everything else would fall into place, because I saw how Others had seemed to get themselves together in these rooms as well. I learned to go to meetings. I was told to get a sponsor and to work with that sponsor. My sponsor gave me some instructions, and I followed them, like getting a home group, which was usually wherever she went. (laughs) Listening to my sponsor, I got a commitment, and I stuck to it. I committed to meetings with my sponsor. She would get mad when I was late. (laughs) And work the steps with her, of course. I would call my sponsor in doubt. 
learning that all I am able, learning all that I'm able to teach others. If I failed at my sobriety, I wouldn't have the job that I have today, my rights as a parent, nor the privilege of becoming the person that I am today. We must not get this mixed up. Our primary purpose is to carry the message. In good faith, I had a home group member one time help me with the job. I got fired. (laughs) In no way, shape, or form is AA a place of where to find employment, nor (laughs) where to get financial advice. Although some of our members do help out with, you know, cup of coffee, meal, a temporary roof, and we point each other to those resources that we've known to have worked. Um, That's a part of sharing our message through our recovery. My sponsor helped me also with the, with the position with her brother. I remember this. Um, that's where I learned about pride and ego and self-pity because um, that seemed to do the trick at the point where I was at in early sobriety. But she didn't put limits on my capabilities, As an alcoholic, I had to hit my bottom, even in sobriety. I had to understand that there were a lot of things that I needed to change. And if she just kept on mothering me, I wouldn't have been able to learn those very important life lessons. Now, as I help others, I use my discretion, which really means... I run it by my sponsor, (laughs) because my discretion sucks. (laughs) I don't even think I have one, to be quite honest with you. At times when I do tell her that I did go ahead and I did something without running it by her, she's always eager to remind me, you should have talked to me first. I'm trying my best to be a good example. I do help others. I don't have a license to practice, so I have no words relating to medical advice. I didn't go to school for it. And that's not my specialty. Only like you should I talk to someone or get... Only like you should I talk to someone about my own experiences? Sometimes some of my responses are, you should talk to someone about that or get that checked out. I can only tell how I did it, nothing else. No opinions on outside issues. There are other specialty groups like ours that specialize in those outside issues. Let them have their own specialty. Our specialty is alcoholism. Let other businesses cater to their specialties as well, like bankers, homeless shelters, food pantries, even a trip to DCF for some SNAP benefits, right? 
no way, shape, or form should you break the bank or open up your home unless you know and you feel that it is the right thing to do. Also, run it by your sponsor. (laughs) Our responsibility on carrying the message is basically only a recovered alcoholic can do as much for a sick alcoholic. That's what Bill said. The intimacy of which we connect is none like no other. The point of sticking to our primary purpose is so that others looking for the solution find it. It is important we stick to carrying the message of AA. We have this open meeting so that even loved ones of AA can find us and we can be of service to them and their alcoholic family members. There are other groups, like I said earlier, that specialize in other substances where those that speak their language of the heart reside. Those women and men are waiting with open arms. Don't neglect them of that chance. Thank you. In order to help us stay focused as we study the big book, we use the big book study guide prepared by Joe and Charlie and Krusty Cliff of the Dallas Primary Purpose Group. Tonight, reading from the stage is a friend returning. His name is Phil. Phil, welcome. We're going to begin the study at the bottom of page 25, but we'll probably tee it up from the untreated fact box on page 24. Uh, And so Phil's going to read that. After the page is read, we're going to ask questions from the podium starting at 25. The answers will be one sentence unless otherwise specified, and multi-part questions are simply a one-sentence answer split up by commas, semicolons, hyphens, and other fun bits of punctuation. Where's the untreated fact? We will start there eventually. Yep. Perfect. Basically, in English, what that means is we're going to read the material once through and then re-dissect the information a second time through the question and answer format. Notice how the language in the questions gives us a new light in which to consider the study material. This is important because hearing the question and rereading the content offers a definite way of comprehending the material covered. After we've completed the page, we open up for comments, questions, and observations based on what was just read. If you have spiritual experiences with this information, you're free to share. However, big book study is not therapy. Should you begin sharing about topics which are more appropriately discussed in a different, i.e. sponsorship or fellowship setting, please do not be offended when we cut that conversation short. Uh, Kelly's going to help us with that tonight. For that purpose, we have fellowship meetings before and after our study time. You can never go wrong by commenting on the page, which brings us to the words of one of the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous, sobriety. Freedom from alcohol through the teaching and practice of the 12 steps is the sole purpose of any Alcoholics Anonymous group. That sounds important. Sure does. So we didn't uh, begin on page 24 at the, uh, at the fact is. That would be silly if we did. Wouldn't it? No, we started on page zero many moons ago. And uh, we're, we're going to catch you up really quick. If you, this is your first time here or you haven't been with us the whole time. So uh, we get some of our first promises on page zero. How uh, thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. And the first part of the book, we're investigating the problem, right? We have the preface and the forwards. 
uh, into the doctor's opinion and Bill's story. And in the forwards and the preface, we learn about some of the early recovery rates of the fellowship, uh, where we got our roots from the Oxford group, uh, introduction to the program being a spiritual program. And uh, we also get the introduction to some of the uh, early traditions in there. And then again, you know, some t- statistics on how the fellowship has grown and changed uh, with the introduction of the book and then just the uh, mushrooming process of the growth of the fellowship and that which leads us into the doctor's opinion the doctor's opinion if you're an alcoholic and you haven't read it you're missing out because it's life-saving information (laughs) Uh, it talks about what alcoholism is and i didn't know what alcohol i went to hundreds of AA meetings before i knew what alcoholism was and i thought i knew everything right so dr silkworth lays it all out right it's a threefold disease i got this physical allergy when i start to drink i crave more i desire more And more and more, the more I drink, and I have a mental obsession which guarantees that I can't see the certain consequences that come with picking up that first drink when I'm stone-cold sober. Also, there's a spiritual malady involved. He talks about this restless, irritable, and discontented feeling that we all get unless we can experience a sense of ease and comfort that comes at once by taking a few drinks. Right? And he talks about that cycle. So it's very important to know about. And then if we want to see it in action, we got Bill's story, right? Bill's story is full of action. And uh, Bill is one of the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, he was a stockbroker from New York. And we get to see, you know, what that threefold illness looks like in a real case study as we follow Bill and the progression of his disease, where it takes him, uh, what that looks like, you know, uh, what he puts his family and loved one through as he uh, goes through that. And then he gets an old drinking buddy that comes over by the name of Evie Thatcher, who got sober in the program uh, in the Oxford group. And uh, he carries this message of, God and religion, and Bill's like, oh, no thank you, but <coughs> as soon as he, you know, Ebby says, hey, look, Bill, I know you're not cool with, uh, you know, the savior that the Oxford group is talking about. How about you pick your own conception of a higher power? And, and Bill, you know, bases, uh, that opens it up for Bill, this whole new world of possibility for Bill, and then he accepts these these spiritual principles and starts applying them in his life and, and gets sober and tries to carry that message. He, he finds that it's going to be you know, critical that he carries that message to other alcoholics who, who still suffer. And there was a lot of failures in the beginning. And, you know, his wife reminds him, hey, Bill, you've stayed sober this whole time, right? So this is definitely where you need to put your attention on carrying this message. He eventually carries it to Dr. Bob and, and the, uh, the fellowship begins, even though they didn't even know it at the time. Mm-hmm. And then page 17, we started off on there as a solution. They say, you know, we knew countless cases that were just as hopeless as Bill, and nearly all of them have recovered. They've solved the drink problem. And we've all shared in this common peril called alcoholism, if we're alcoholics, right? We know what it's like to cheat death and by, you know, drinking myself to death or drinking myself into oblivion, thinking I'm never going to be able to stop or never going to be able to stay stopped. And then, wow, I'm in a meeting. It's the 90th day in a row. That's fantastic. <laughs> the feeling of having shared in that common peril, it's one element in the powerful cement that binds us, but it never would have held us together as the solution does, right? We have this common solution that we're absolutely agreed on, and they're still talking about what that solution is. It's a spiritual program of action. And we're going to start on page 24. The fact is, tonight, reading about the... Uh, why we can't see the consequences of the first drink. Yeah, and just to give you just a little bit more in the chapter that we're in, they also outline the difference between uh, a hard drinker, you know, a heavy hard drinker, and the real alcoholic. So this is going to be picking up right in the middle of that real alcoholic. So page 24, it's all yours, Mr. Phil. All right, very good. Uh, Recovered alcoholic, my name is Phil. Hey, Hey, Phil. Phil. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. 
we are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. The almost certain consequences that follow taking even a glass of beer do not crowd into the mind to deter us. If these thoughts occur, they are hazy and readily supplanted with the old threadbare idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. There is a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. The alcoholic may say to himself in the most casual way, it won't burn me this time, so here's how. Or perhaps he doesn't think at all. How often have some of us begun to drink in this nonchalant way, and after the third or fourth pounded on the bar and said to ourselves, for God's sake, how did I ever get started again? Only to have that thought supplanted by, well, I'll stop with the sixth drink, or what's the use anyhow? When this sort of thinking is fully established in an individual with alcoholic tendencies, he has probably placed himself beyond human aid, and unless locked up, may die or go permanently insane. These stark and ugly facts have been confirmed by legions of alcoholics throughout history. But for the grace of God, there would have been thousands more convincing demonstrations. So many want to stop but cannot. There is a solution. Almost none of us like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of shortcomings which the process requires for its successful consummation. But we saw that it really worked in others, and we had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we had been living it. When, therefore, we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. We have found much of heaven, and we have been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence of which we had not even dreamed. The great fact is just this, and nothing less, that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows, and toward God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we could never do by ourselves. If you are as seriously alcoholic as we were, we believe there is no middle-of-the-road solution. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible, and if we had passed into the region from which there is no return through human aid, we had but two alternatives— One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, and the other, to accept spiritual help. This we did because we honestly wanted to, and we were willing to make the effort. A certain American businessman had ability, good sense, and high character. For years, he had floundered from one sanitarium to another. He had consulted the best-known American psychiatrists. Then he had gone to Europe, placing himself in the care of a celebrated physician, the psychiatrist, Dr. Young, who prescribed for him. Though experience had made him skeptical, he finished his treatment with unusual confidence. His physical and mental condition were unusually good. Above all, he believed he had acquired such a profound knowledge of the inner workings of his mind and its hidden springs that relapse was unthinkable. Nevertheless, he was drunk in a short time. More baffling still, he could give himself no satisfactory explanation for his fall. So he returned to this doctor, whom he admired, and asked him point-blank why he could not recover. He wished above all things to regain self-control. He seemed quite rational and well-balanced with respect to other problems, yet he had no control whatever over alcohol. Why was this? He begged the doctor to tell him the whole truth, and he got it. In the doctor's judgment, he was utterly hopeless. He could never regain his position in society, and he would have to place himself under lock and key or hire a bodyguard if he expected to live long. That was the great physician's opinion. 
But this man still lives and is a free man. He does not need a bodyguard, nor is he confined. He can go anywhere on this earth where other free men may go without disaster, provided he remains willing to maintain a certain simple attitude. Some of our alcoholic readers may think they can do without spiritual help. Let us tell you the rest of the conversation our friend had with his doctor. The doctor said, You have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. I have never seen one single case recover where that state of mind existed to the extent that it does in you. Our friend felt as though the gates of hell had closed on him with a clang. He said to the doctor, Is there no exception? Yes, replied the doctor, there is. Exceptions to cases such as yours have been occurring since early times. Here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. To me, these occurrences are phenomena. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men, are suddenly cast to one side, and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. In fact, I've been trying to produce some such emotional rearrangement within you. With many individuals, the methods which I employed are successful, but I've never been successful with an alcoholic of your description. All right, I think we're going to stop there tonight. Thank you, Mr. Phil. And uh, we're going to begin our question and answer on the bottom of 25, last paragraph. Yeah, you can see it. Let's give it up for Phil. Thank you, Phil. Give it up. Heck of a reader. Yes, I was thinking the same thing. All right, we're Q&A in it up. First question. We'll start over here still. Is there a middle-of-the-road solution for real alcoholics? If you're seriously alcoholic as we, as we were, we believe there is no middle-of-the-road solution. How were our lives? We were in a position uh, uh, where life was becoming impossible. And if we had passed into the region from which there is no return through human aid, we had but two alternatives. What were the two alternatives? <laughs> One was to go on to the bitter, bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, and the other to expect, accept spiritual help. All right. And it says, before proceeding, we should check out the Appendix 2 on spiritual experience. And these alternatives appear to be steps one and two. So let's go to page 183 in the skinny book. And we, can we get a volunteer to read? Uh, should we just read the full appendix? The appendix two, spiritual experience? All right. So, Tanisha, if you would, appendix two, take us away. I love the spiritual experience. You lucky gal. Right? In the fatty. <laughs> 567. <laughs> spiritual experience. The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that their order to recover, they must require an immediate and overwhelming God-consciousness 
followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected... Sorry, my pages are sticking. (laughs) An unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. All right. Thank you. We just had a lot of content there between the paragraph and the appendix. Does anybody want to share about either of those? You want to have experience with this? Anyone want to share about their experience, their spiritual experience, educational or otherwise? Hi, Alex Addict. Here. Okay, so when it comes to, like, I've noticed, like, I wasn't really, like, before, like, in the stages of addiction. I was very, like, close-minded when I came to God and, well, my higher power, I should say. And so, like, the minute I started working the steps, I just became very open and willing and so I'm finally creating my own conception of God in this process. So, like, I really connected to that. That's awesome. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Tanisha? I told you I like spiritual experience. <laughs> Who doesn't? So mine is the God consciousness part. God is everything or he's nothing. That means he's always with me. He's in every single space, every single time that I remember that he is present. And that right there allows me to have my spiritual experience because then I can practice giving it over, turning it over to the power of God as I understood him. And knowing my higher power as I have grown to know him in this fellowship Um, Through my experiences, especially with my sufferings, 
um, I can definitely speak on how well he's allowed me to recover by learning through those experiences. And um, I love the sunlight of the spirit. I feel um, many times um, that God consciousness just radiates around me in this bright light. And um, I no longer have to live in the darkness. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. sharing. We got a I got you. Ryan here. He's excited. <laughs> this is just going to be quick. I'm Ryan and I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Ryan. Um, hey, I like the last paragraph of spiritual experience when it says, we find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Um, willing, willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness for the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. Um, I remember coming into this program at first and saying that I had it, I didn't have a relationship with God or I had an issue with God, but I think it was just that it was that God was not convenient for my lifestyle. Hmm. Um, so I, it wasn't for a lack of God wanting a relationship with me. I just had no, I didn't have time for that. Um, but the the one thing that I noticed is that I never really had to make any kind of decision in this program except to be willing to try it. Um, that was the only decision that I really had to make in this because once I was willing to try it, the the spirituality happened whether or not I wanted it to or not. Um, you know, the minute that I decided that I surrendered and I became willing to try going through these steps, um, you know, uh, we have a speaker on Thursday nights that talks about being catapulted through the steps. Um, you know, I never, I feel like once I did step one, I was immediately catapulted into step two, you know, like, because I decided that I had no power. So obviously a power greater than myself is going to restore me to sanity because if I have no power, then that, that doesn't really say much, you know? So then I'm catapulted into step two. And then obviously if there's a power greater than myself, that's going to restore my sanity. I'm going to do anything to be close to that power as possible, you know? So I'm immediately just catapulted into step three. Um, so I feel like the only time that I ever made a choice in this was just to choose to try it, you know, to mm-hmm. choose to say, what if this could work for me, you know? And I mean, did so, <laughs> so that's all I got. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks Ryan. Thanks. Um, I'm Megan. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, hey Megan. Megan. <laughs> um, so just the part where it says he finally realizes that, that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life um like everything that happens in life hasn't changed but like my whole life has completely changed um the way that i react to things like i don't know just a specific situation that's like come back into my life i never used to be able to handle this um it was a relationship like just the feelings around it i could never deal with it i thought that was the key to all my happiness you know um And I was talking to my therapist today and saying there were all these things, like ways of dealing with it that I would just like kind of dream about. But it was like so far away that I couldn't, it was just like there was such a gap in between me and the way I thought about things and the way that I dealt with life that it just seemed like I had no idea what the bridge to that gap was. But, you know, just sitting here, it's like just a connection with my higher power. That's the bridge to that gap. Like all of our wildest dreams and the things we just think that are unattainable have become just the way that I live today. And that's all just thanks 
to the connection I have with God. Like, it's really, it's just really powerful to sit and think about it. Thanks for sharing. Thank you. Hey, Alcoholic Mike Chase. Hey, Hey, Mike Chase. Recovered, too. Um, Where we started the question and answers, I I always like to remember what's, like, led up to it. And if we go back a couple of pages, three or four pages, we were talking about the physical allergies, and, and Tanisha was talking about how you know, we're not medical professionals. So there's no way us people in the room can deal with your physical allergy. We can't go in and do surgery. We can't give you chemicals. Or there's nothing that AA can do about your physical allergy reaction. But then it slides into our main problem, which is our, is our mental obsession. And that's where God jumps in. God's the one who can come in and divert our, our mental obsessions into something healthy. He, he can take that mental obsession away. But it's also trying to help you decide, are you really one of us? Because we just went through a lot of basic steps you have to go through to get sober. And if you think you're just a little problem-heavy hard drinker and you can get away with not doing the real work, you're going to keep coming back until you realize you're like one of us if you're seriously alcoholic as we were, you know? And, and, and the, the whole thing, is just, it, I love how the book is laid out. Within a chapter, there's subsections, and we're just wrapping up one subsection, which is telling us, you know, that we have to have a spiritual experience in order to change. How do we have that? What does that look like? And the great thing about it is now we're going to meet somebody who's going to show us how that works. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. In the doctor's opinion, it says that once the phenomenon of craving develops, we pass through the well-known stages of the spree, emerging remorseful with the firm resolution not to drink again, and that's going to be repeated over and over unless, unless what? unless I can experience an entire psychic change. And that's the entire psychic change. That's what the spiritual experience is talking about. That's what the steps are supposed to produce, this connection with God, this personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism. And it really is a miraculous thing. Yeah. Early on when I uh, was introduced to the fellowship, I would hear these things in meetings, and my spiritual uh, advisor used to always tell me, see if you can reconcile it with the book, right? And he knows where it won't be reconciled or where it counter, um, counters whatever I heard, right? So one of those things was, well, you didn't get sick overnight. You're not going to get well overnight, right? And this, <laughs> this, this appendix here is saying these sudden profound changes are frequent in the fellowship, right? It doesn't mean that everyone has them, but who am I to decide, you know? All, my job is just to get the new guy through the steps as quickly as possible and get him connected to God and, you know, if that produces one of these sudden upheavals, that's great. I'm not going to sit there and, you know, drag it on. Yes, it is a, a, a lifetime work, but um, it's not for me to decide. You know, I got well pretty quick, all things considered. I'm still pretty deranged. But, you know, <laughs> as far as, um, you know, that obsession, that mental obsession that Mike Chase was talking about, I heard another speaker talk about this as, you know, how, like, most of us, if we get here and we start doing this thing, like, how could you not describe that as a sudden upheaval or a spiritual experience of source. Because we go from, you know, at least in my experience, like daily drinking, blacking out, you know, passing out, wetting myself, drunk driving, all this kind of stuff that I'm doing, you know, hurting others, whatever it is, to start going to these meetings in like dingy basements, drinking coffee, calling strangers on the phone, talking about my feelings, um, you know, going to these crazy breakfast places all hours of the night, like... If that's not a spiritual experience, like to to get us in here to start committing to this fellowship, you know, I don't I don't know what is. So I really like that take as well. Yeah, we got a hand over here. 
Amy, recovered alcoholic. Hey, Amy. Amy. Um, I can remember when I first started um, that I knew for a fact the difference I saw in, in recovered alcoholics was that they had had a spiritual experience, and I hadn't. And um, for a long time, you know, I hate to say it because I know some people don't think you should do this, but I was coming to meetings drunk, and I desperately wanted the solution. But, you know, it's a program of action. And so as long as you're going through the action, eventually you can rest in knowing that it will happen. And, you know, it happened for me. And so it can happen for anyone if it can happen for me. Um, But that spiritual experience is something that um, we, I wish we could transfer it. You know, I wish we could just touch somebody and they could get it. But it doesn't happen that way. So we have to, we have to do the work and we have to, to keep you know, um, following the directions. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. Thanks. I knew this was going to be a money section. <laughs> Hi, everybody. My name's Jennifer. I'm visiting you from Montreal, Canada. Hey, Jennifer. And by the way, if you read Bill's story, he goes up to Montreal at some point. So there's a connection. Uh, there's two things that jump out at me in this paragraph. Uh, reference to the simple kit of spiritual tools and reference to the fourth dimension of existence. So the spiritual tools are like the 12 steps for me. And the fourth and fifth are really important. Um, the fourth, like, you know, where you really dig down and you kind of look at things straight and you say, okay, this is what it's good about me and this is what it isn't. And then the fifth step where you actually go and say that to somebody and they survive you saying that. <laughs> you know, it's really cool. Um, and I couldn't live without those two steps because... Um, this, you know, when we, when we work the steps continually, we're continually discovering nasty new stuff about ourselves. And I find it really useful to like pick up the phone right away and say to somebody, guess what? I'm like totally selfish. Look at what I just did. And they survive and they encourage me and it allows me to just move forward into the solution. And when I look at the fourth dimension, that's where that comes in because, um, my sixth and seventh are also really my favorite part of my favorite steps because that's where the fourth dimension comes in. Like who knew that you could actually, you know, cough it out to some human being. And then in the sixth and seventh, you actually turn to God. Like you don't know exists. You have no proof. Like yet, like most people say that they don't, right? God doesn't exist. Like most of our society doesn't even believe in it. And you pretend that this thing exists and you, you say, God, give me a new attitude. I don't know how to get out of this problem. I can see them being like real judgmental or real selfish or real something or other. And it happens. You get a new attitude. Like, this happens to me all the time. I say, there's no possible way I can solve this problem. Actually, it's insoluble. So you're going to have to do it. And 20 minutes later, I get an idea. Like, that is a fourth dimension. And I'm really grateful to be in a a world where that exists. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. sharing. Big ups to Montreal. I'm Scotty. I'm alcoholic. What Scotty? Up, Scotty? Um, you know, for years and years, I came into this program, and uh, I had sponsors. I worked the steps, and I, I tried to get that spiritual change, and I could never get it. And I would go in and out, in and out for years. You know, this time when I came in a little over two years ago, I, I said, I'm going to forget everything I know, and, I, and I'm going to start like I'm a newcomer. And that's what I did. And somewhere in between the sixth and seventh step, I woke up one day, and I had that change. My thinking, my thoughts, my actions, and everything were different. You know, and I come to realize, you see, 
I was full of self. I was full of my will, and God couldn't use me then. I couldn't have that experience because it was all about me. And until I let go and, and, and did this program the way it was intended to do, that's where that change came about. You know, and I, I've always come into these rooms and I tried to change everything on the outer, but nothing on the inner. You know, and this time around the inner has changed, and then that automatically changes the outer. So I'm grateful mm. to be here and be sober. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks for Scotty. Sharing. You know, something that occurred to me when you're sharing, Scotty, is like I, I was, my cup was full when I came in here sometimes. So you can't put any new material. God can't enter and transform me if my cup is already overflowing with all the stuff I think I know. That's wrong. You got to empty that cup, dog. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm an alcoholic. My name's Tanner. Hey, Tanner. Hello, Tanner. You know, I really like uh, what it says, you know. To, to accept spiritual help, well, what's that mean? You know, this, this we did because we honestly wanted to and were willing to make the effort. Um, and just recently I, I heard a, the ingredients of humility, which is, which is key. You know, honesty, willingness, and then the effort. Would, and this it's referring to, I think, is the desire to do and seek God's will. You know? And... Um, and I really like what the twelve and twelve uh, says too at the end of uh, at the end of seven. I know this is kind of getting jumping from book to book, but you know the the level of humility that it that it took, the degree of humility actually that it took to uh, to come in here and, and, and surrender, you know, can be can be uh, done with any problem that we have, you know, whether it's lust, whether it's you know insecurities, you know, whatever it is, social phobia. I don't know. You know, and uh, but you got to be willing. You got to be honest. You know, you got to seek it out. That's what I found true. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. Nice. Thank you, sir. What do you say? Oh, we got one. My name is Dean, recovered alcoholic. What up, Dean? Um, I'm grateful that there's an asterisk after the great fact. Um, because if I would have skipped that asterisk and went to, I had what I had two, two alternatives. One was to die and one was to accept spiritual help. And, um, that would have confused the living daylights out of me. If I was just starting in this program, I haven't even read the steps yet. I have no idea. I just know that this guy that's reading the book to me seems to have a better idea than I do. And I'm willing to listen, but I'm just grateful that it, goes into some detail about that. You know, that was part of the second edition to this book. That was not in the original text. So I wonder, you know, if I'm reading this book by myself and I'm told that I can either, uh, <clears throat> that there's no middle-of-the-road solution and that I had but one, but two alternatives. One's to go into the bitter end blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, and the other, to accept spiritual help. And then it gives you a little bit of incentive, because it says this we did because we honestly wanted to. And at that point, I'm only sharing this with you, this book spends 43 pages on the first step, and then maybe 12 pages with the doctor's opinion, so you can add that up. We're just trying to figure out if we're alcoholic, and now you're telling me i got to swallow this big pill of, sight, of uh, spiritual experience. You know, I, I am very grateful that um, wherever there's an asterisk, we read the spiritual experience. And so I know 
we're going to read this spiritual experience twice in two pages. And that seems to be a little redundant, but I guess it emphasizes the importance of the spirituality of the program, even though we haven't even read you the first step. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We got Marion in the back. It's a hot mic tonight. <clears throat> that means it's good. Hi, Marion. I'm alcoholic. It's, hey, Marian. <laughs> it's so good to be here tonight. I'm glad to see you all. Um, wow. So, um, can you imagine sitting with a shrink for a whole year? Oh, my God. For a whole freaking year. A real alcoholic like me. I just think of that. And, um, I was reading this, and then also upon hearing this, our friend was somewhat relieved, for he reflected that, after all, he was a good church member. Dude, I was a good church member. I had shrinks shrinking my head, and I couldn't stop drinking. It was like that same deadly combination, you know? And it wasn't till two drunks sitting at the end of the bed. And I could hear it. And I could see it, and I could feel it. And that's where the transformation happened for me. You know, two drunks sitting at the end of the bed. And that's what continued to happen to me. I could see it, I could feel it, and I could hear it. And um, and it was happening all around me. I mean, I think it's just that way, too, for us. It's like we walk into a greater consciousness of God power when we walk into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't know if you guys are anything like me, but when I'm having a knockdown, drag out day and I just walk into a room and you just take that deep sigh and go, you know, this is where I belong and this is where it happens for me. And, you know, I have a friend who used to, his name was Jack Wright and he was just totally obsessed with Herbert, Herbert Spencer, there is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. And, you know, I just love the freedom that we have in these rooms, God, that where it even says before that what Ryan was talking about, being willing, the willingness, the honesty, and the open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery. But these are indispensable. And that's what I was finally beaten down to this place of the gift of desperation, to be willing to do what I needed to do, to be honest. God gave me the willingness God gave me the honesty, and God gave me the open-mindedness. And I believe truly that that's a gift from God. Otherwise, I'm going to take some dang credit, and I don't need to do that today. So good to be here and good to be sober. Thanks, guys. Thanks for sharing. Shall we continue with the Q&A? I would love to. Okay. So the final question is the last partial sentence on 25, continuing through page 26. Why did they accept spiritual help? It's bottom of 25 through 26. This we did because we honestly wanted to and were willing to make the effort. All right. And now <laughs> now we're going to get into the next. We'll do. Okay. I'm getting a signal to cut it off. So we will we'll close the meeting, I guess. There's Let's, a lot of content. Tonight. Yeah, a lot of content. Good. 
Good. Awesome. So you got to come back next week if you want to, if you want the secret formula to sobriety. <laughs> so from a vision for you, page 164, God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but you obviously cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and for countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. It is the practice of the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group for group member sponsors to introduce their new sponsees by presenting them with a sponsorship medallion. Do we have anybody that is presenting a new sponsee? Anybody have a sponsee to introduce? Okay, bring two next week. Is there anyone celebrating a year or more of sobriety that would like a medallion? All right. Is anyone in need of a sponsor? Anybody in need of a big book sponsor? All right. If you're shy, come up and talk to us at the podium after the meeting. If you would like to become a member of this group, please join us after the meeting and fill out a membership card. Can all home group members please raise your hands? Great. We'll see you right after the meeting to help tear down. What a great group of people. And you can vape outside if you're mentally stable. That's right. (laughs) Here on the balcony. Uh, Thank you for joining us tonight. We hope to see you next week. Thursday evening is our Alcoholics and God Step Series workshop starting at 715 downstairs in the Fellowship Hall. Who's doing that one? It's Doc. Okay. It's a great time. Cool. Uh, Also, if you wouldn't mind, please, if you're not vaping on the balcony, wait 75 feet from the doors. There's yellow buckets set up for you to smoke near uh, so that we don't upset the church. We want to maintain a good relationship with this church. Awesome. We are going to close now with the Lord's Prayer seated. Who's Father? See you next week or Thursday. We love you. Godspeed.
possessions that I have amount to nothing at all.
stop your scientific and be happy again. Yes, and keep on smiling. Everywhere I go, I'm gonna let it shine. Everywhere I go, I'm gonna. 
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. The fog is lifted 
the light Count my blessings when I go to sleep at night And I dream now Yeah, I dream now And everything's alright <laughs> Oh, man Going on 10 years old, that song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.
tape. Got one man that just won't say. 